Hey, Dungeon Crawler, thanks for tuning in to our episode this week. But guess what? Did you know there's even more that you could be listening to? If you head over to our Patreon, you can get access to behind-the-scenes content, hearing more of the discussion before and after the show, and even comments in the middle that didn't make it into the final cut. Thank you so much for your support, and keep being great. This is Daniel. This is Krebs. This is Alton. This is Matai, the other Krebs. And you're listening to the greatest geek podcast out there, Dungeon Crawlers Radio. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of Dungeon Crawlers, where, yes, it's th- that time. It's this moment where, yet again, we will be speaking about a franchise, well, I've seen, haven't been a big fan of. But this is a two-in-a-row for you guys, because we are yet again, as promised last week, talking about Star Trek. But instead of just talking about Strange New Worlds, we're going to be talking about the whole series in its entirety. That yep. means original series, next generation, Discovery, uh, Voyager. Enterprise. Enterprise. Space Nine, Lower Decks. Lower Decks, Strange Picard. New World. Picard. And anything else out there that I have forgotten about. I'm just it- proud of you for wanting to engage. Yes. Engaging <laughs> um, is something I do. No, that, that was clever. That was clever. I, I just don't know what you're talking about, Krebs. But I'm glad that we made it so. Well, you have a yes. warped sense of humor. It's true. Mm. I'm giving yeah. it all she's got. Tonight yeah. with us, we have the esteemed Alton Wheelhouse. Hello. And uh, I am Krebs, and we have our special guest, Wes. Hello. Hey, welcome to the show, Wes. And of course, Thanks, our Krebs. esteemed leader and showrunner, Daniel. Yes. Uh, so, as it has been made abundantly clear over the many years that this uh, podcast has been in existence, I've never been much of a fan of Star Trek. But... If you listened to last week's episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you listened to last week's episode, I gave an A- minus to Strange New Worlds. Oh, spoiler. But we got Wes here. He is a fan of the show. He knows it in its entirety. Alton knows his stuff as well. Rebs, where do you stand on, in your knowledge with Star Trek? I have a very similar childhood at, at, at about a, I don't know, 60 to 70 percent ratio to what you had, Daniel, in that I was raised in a household with Trekkies and I have seen like Star Trek The Next Generation was my Star Trek. That's the one that I watched every episode of when it came out on the air originally. Uh, I, I've seen the uh, portions of the animated series of the original series and I have seen some of the original series, but I've never seen the animated or original series in their totality. And yeah. most recently, I've gotten into Lower Decks. I've been trying to binge that and get caught up because I'm behind. And Lower Decks is phenomenal, especially if you're trying to learn all of the references. You can tell you have this like uncanny valley sense of when they're making a reference to something else. And it helps you do your Star Trek homework. So pro tip, if you're behind on Star Trek, watch Lower Decks, enjoy the humor and start chasing all the little references they make. And even better, if you have the opportunity to watch Lower Decks with someone who is already a Trekkie or a Trekker, mm-hmm. do so. Because what will happen is, like Tasha has found out, you'll watch an episode and they'll turn to you and they'll be like, this is so much funnier than you think and here's why. And then yes. bring you over to the source media so you don't have to watch everything 
just the pieces that are relevant for the jokes. Wes, Wes is like my Star Trek encyclopedia. So so let's kind of do just a really quick roundtable, and we'll start with our special guest, Wes. What was your first Star Trek, and what is your favorite Star Trek? And we're talking about series, movies, either a single movie or a series of movies, but let's talk about it as like a total body of work. So, you know, each series is its own body of work, right? So, Wesley, what is what was your first Star Trek, and to this day, what is your current favorite Star Trek? So... I'm I'm happy that you used my full name in that space um, when you asked mm-hmm. that question mm-hmm. on the second mm-hmm. cast um, because <laughs> my first Star Trek was my birth certificate. Um, <laughs> uh, I was conveniently born after uh, 1987, which is when Wesley Crusher was introduced to the Next Generation. So Next Generation is when I started watching Star Trek. Um, I feel like Voyager was the first one that I really got into as a child um, because it was episodic. Um, and it was like, I, I could, it was easy to follow, um, like deep space nine. It was there. I was present, but there it was dark and gritty. And as a kid, it was kind of difficult to get into. And like, if I missed an episode or didn't remember the episode, it was, it, it deep space nine really fleshed out, um, our ability to have serialized television. Like I think without, I think mm-hmm. there would have been something that came up, but with like deep space nine really trailblazed for stuff like game of thrones to where from season one to season eight you had an entire story arc um so i think uh, next generation always has a special place in my heart i got real into enterprise um and like real in enterprise before it was called star trek because it was actually just called enterprise mm-hmm. um, and then they ch- changed it like season three i think to be called star trek enterprise um so i i there's it's really hard to pick one Star Trek. Um, it's like I, even even jo- all jokes aside, I think if I had to like actually just pick one series or one uh, movie, it would be like the ones that aren't really labeled Star Trek. So like Galaxy Quest is my favorite Star Trek movie because it yes. it embodies not only the principles of Star Trek in mm-hmm. in the canon, like in the mythos inside the fiction, but also exterior to the fiction and the real world events of just like you have like there's brent spiner in um a documentary around galaxy it's like why didn't we do this we should have done this this is what we should have done <laughs> like yeah well and the other beautiful thing about you bringing up galaxy quest is that it solves a mathematical problem which is people ask you know which star trek film should i watch and if you include galaxy quest as one of them then you can just say the even films yeah <laughs> and it works that's but a good point absolutely beautiful and very much agree. And, and similarly to me, for me, you know, Star Trek, The Next Generation was one of the most formative pieces of my childhood. I, I have nothing against any of the series in particular, but Jean-Luc will always be my captain. He is one of the embodiments of who I want to be as a man and as a person. And, and that always held a, a special place for me. And even more appropriate, you know, I married my wife, Tasha, um, who, despite the fact that she comes from heavy D and D stock, she was named Tasha after Tasha Yar. Oh my uh, gosh, I who didn't was, know that. Yeah, and then the other part that that was great for me is I, I love Voyager, partially because I think that some of the stories that are told there are very interesting. The idea of being flung to the far side of the galaxy with no hope of getting back within your you know within a reasonable amount of time and trying to just figure it out along the way is really cool. Uh, but beyond that, back in the day when UPN became a thing. <laughs> um yes. Voyager was showing on the nights that I would go and visit my dad. 
And mm. so that was one of the things that we would do together. And I didn't watch every single episode during that time frame, but I saw a lot of them uh, in order. And that was one of the first uh, exposures to that kind of long form content uh, that I remember from my childhood. I have one more contribute to that like actually in canon if i were to pick a movie because i've sat and thought about it for a long time mm -hmm. um wrath of khan mm -hmm. like there is just so much in, in, like narratively in that movie and artistically in that movie to where the protagonist and the antagonist are never in the same room mm -hmm. um that movie if you take away the soundtrack like kind of falls apart so if you look at the music and how the music is use to tell the story and it's very slow there's like it's very slow action but it is model action um it's 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 a nice pacing to it it's got good structure it's an, it takes star trek and puts it on the big screen to where it like without without wrath of khan we don't get the next 10 series yeah like we have the motion picture was which was almost like a flop in theaters to where wrath of khan came out and it's just like it revitalized interest in it and push forward where it's like now we actually could green light next generation and the next like nine or so plus television series after that fact. Daniel, what about you? What was your first Star Trek? What was your favorite Star so Trek? First Star Trek was the original series. Um, we had a little black and white television set. So I did not get to see all of next generation or you know, the original series in color because I wasn't allowed to watch the color TV. So most of uh, Star Trek I watched in black and white on that TV. Later on, um, you know, with, when Next Generation came out, it was a requirement for the family to sit down and watch every episode as it came out. Yeah, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. was not there was no choice. Like it was, we were at a friend's house. We got the phone call, come home. We have to watch Next Generation. Oh, it's family time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. The big event when the Borg showed up. Oh. I remember Card was was kidnapped. You know, hmm. all of those things. I've seen all the movies as well, and. I, you know, part of me, you know, wonders that, you know, the pushing of it is what really, you know, like most kids, if you push someone too hard towards something, they're like, yeah, I don't want it. I don't, I don't yeah. want, don't want anything to do with that. I'm sure there is some of that to it, but at the same time, it never appealed to me the same way some science fiction and fantasy media does. Sure. But we all know what my favorite Star Trek is because we devoted a whole episode to it last week. <laughs> oh. Yes, no. the only one that I've really enjoyed, and I'm excited for the next season. But this is where we've got to ask Mr. Krebs. How about you, good sir? Should we jump to Wes and then go to you? Because Wes had a comment. Do oh, it's it just oh, a little bit of trivia about the the women um, behind Star Trek, specifically. I think I'm going to mispronounce her first name, but uh, Majel Barrett. Majel uh, she's Barrett. The, yeah, she's the voice of the computer. So she played um, number one in the pilot. And then yes. she was, um, because the producers didn't like that, they, they didn't want a prominent female character on the bridge, they made her Nurse Chapel. Uh, she was actually married to Gene Roddenberry yep. and has been the voice of the computer and is credited in over 247 episodes. Mm -hmm. She has passed. However, she's phonetically recorded her voice. So any new, like the her appearance in uh, Star Trek Picard was after her passing and was digitally recreated. So she will yeah. forever be possible to be the voice of the computer. So any time you hear the computer speak in Next Generation, DS9, Voyager, like that is Nurse Chapel. That is number one. That is Lakshana Troy. Like that, these yeah. are, so this character has, um, yeah. 
Uh, this voice can be part of Star her, Trek. Her so, contribution to Star Trek is immense. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. So just a little, little bit of trivia. So my first Star Trek, I think I have to land on the Star Trek motion pictures up through number four. Um, I, I, I would go see five. I would go see six, you know, but like in terms of like my introduction to Star Trek, the motion pictures were the ones I really saw first. I didn't really watch the original series that much. I saw a little bit here and there. I had sort of like knowledge in the world or knowledge of the world, I guess you could say, of what Star Trek was and who each character was. I saw a little bit of the animated series, but but like really watching and taking in would be the would be the original motion pictures from one through four. The Star Trek that is my favorite for the longest time and maybe still is. Star Trek The Next Generation. However, with the advent of Star Trek Strange New Worlds, it is really pushing to be my favorite Star Trek. I still think Next Generation had more impact. Uh, and, and of course, it had, you know, it's had several more seasons and movies to do that with. But with the limited experience that we've had with Strange New Worlds thus far, my gosh, bang for buck. Strange New Worlds is fighting to be my new favorite Star Trek. Nice. Now, I, I want to make a comment because I will have to say, out of the entirety of the villains that are in the Star Trek universe, I would have to say Ricardo Montalban's mm. con is probably one of the greatest villains there can be. Yeah. I, wasn't a, I, Benedict Cumberbatch is a fantastic actor. Yes. Still was not the same as... Part of Montalban. And you know, I like this I like this thread of like favorite villain of all time. My favorite villain of all of Star Trek is the original Borg Queen from mm-hmm. the first, first contact Borg. film. Okay. Mm-hmm. That I remember being in movie theaters and that experience at that time, we're talking late nineties, the achievements they made in visual effects at that time were stunning and the actress they got to play that role was the exact right actress to be the Borg Queen. Whenever I see her in things like when I watch Reign of Fire or when I watch something on the BBC and she pops up because she's a prolific British actress, every time I see her, my very first thought is, oh, that's the Borg Queen. Absolutely stunning villain. I have to admit it's the only time in my life that I've been scaroused. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's on the internet now. That is 100% fair. I mean, scaroused might be my favorite new term. It was a very skin-tight outfit. No, it wasn't even that. I don't know. We're not going to get into that. It's not that kind of show. He was attracted (laughs) to her mind, her hive mind. Wes, what about you? Who would you indicate as your favorite villain? That's really tough because like each series, I could probably tell you what my favorite villain is. As far as character development and depth, I would choose Gold Dukat. Ooh, that's mm. a great choice. Primarily because it's it's a like you've got good Cardassians, you've got bad Cardassians, but there's always like bad in the good Cardassians, and we can never really tell with Gold Dukat where he falls, but he's always mm. kind of on the he always plays the villainous role, and throughout the series, it's kind of like well he's pushing for his people, so it's like it's almost like it's almost like a Picard like figure. So if mm-hmm. if we're if we watch if we watch Star Trek from like a uh, Romulan standpoint or a Klingon standpoint, like Picard can kind of be a villain 
Like oh, he's sure. got like he can be villainous towards the perspective you're looking at. And that's what I felt with what we got with Golden Cot, um, the Cardassian all through Deep Space Nine. Right. Like um, like this is one of the characters that I actually talk about when I work with um, people who are wanting to get really good at playing lawful characters. Mm hmm. Um, because it is exactly that. It isn't necessarily a moral thing. It's following that ideal and committing to it because morality is entirely based upon the perception of the situation. Yeah. So this brings me to another thought because we're, we're hitting on a lot of points where we, you know, the things that we appreciate, the things that we love, the things that molded us, but everything that lives long enough has things we could do without. And this might be a very hard question for Daniel, but yeah. hypothetically, <laughs> hypothetically, if someone walked up to you and said, hey, I have just enough time in my lifetime to watch all of Star Trek except one body of work, what would you tell them to skip? Voyager. <laughs> Oh. Now, why Voyager? Why did you choose Voyager for your skip? I feel like Voyager is probably the weakest out of all of them. And it's not from lack of the cast, but it's because of the storyline. It suffered so much in story, from my opinion. I, you guys could disagree. But the story never attracted me or never engaged me in a way that I cared about the characters. I wasn't a huge fan of DS9, but still, I cared about those characters yeah. i like those characters even with enterprise i still cared about the characters even when i was watching the episodes and even as i was losing interest i was still hoping they would turn something around so that the characters i liked watching and enjoyed watching um i would get to know more about i never felt like i got that with any of the cast and crew of voyager and it never felt engaging to me no pun yeah Wes, where do you fall on this? So I, I would almost have to agree in that space. Like Voyager has some of my favorite individual one-off episodes, but as a body of work, I feel it is the the do-nothing show. They're stranded 70,000 light years from home and are like isolated from any ability to repair or have resource replenished. And my so here's some here's some stats about Voyager. In the seven years it takes them to get home, they 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 start with 32 photon torpedoes. They fire 96 throughout the show. They lose 16 shuttlecraft when the when the ship is only able to house like five. Um, and uh, Harry Kim dies four times, um, and canonically dies, like actually is dead and is somehow brought back. I think if Voyager leaned into like so, this is the this is like. Rick Berman behind the scenes was like, we already have serialized television with Deep Space Nine. We need to keep an episodic Star Trek going. And I think if they had inverted it, it would have been better because serialized Voyager would have given you Battlestar Galactica 10 years early. Yeah. Mm. Like, I think I think for as far as the where it has the let like and now now I'm actually like reconsidering because thinking about where Picard goes, Voyager actually is narratively important. Um. <laughs> I mean, it probably has some importance because, you know, Picard is trying to wrap all those threads together. Yeah, yeah. Picard but... did a really good job of wrapping up um, the live action set in the 24th century. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But Voyager really struggles, in my opinion, with a lot of issues. They have more resources than they really do. 
you know, where's the scarcity? Uh, that that's a that's an incredibly valid point. I think I think having like a depletionist experience on the on the Voyager would have made it far more high stakes and enjoyable in that in that regard. Gentlemen, uh, gentlemen, I okay. <laughs> Alton's just been like waiting. I have been polite. <laughs> I have kept my mouth shut. You have only heard so many protestations <laughs> utter forth from my lips and voice box but politely gentlemen <laughs> while i agree with most of your points i disagree with your conclusion that's okay so here's the thing i i actually do agree with most of the points that you guys made i have long thought that flipping which show was episodic and which show was serialized would have been a major boon to it and there are huge plot holes and problems However, I don't think that it's a piece that you can really exclude and still have a complete picture of what Star Trek is. Now, the controversial thing here, and admittedly, I haven't been able to get very deep into it because of how actively I have disliked it, mm. Discovery. I just don't think it's that good of a show. And beyond that, I don't think that it adds much of anything. Um and, and and that's the difference here, right? Like Voyager has a lot of flaws. It has a lot of writing issues and it definitely has an identity issue in terms of what it is on its own, but in terms of what it contributes to the larger canonicity and to the larger universe, I think it adds a lot. Discovery, I'm just not seeing a lot coming out of it. Yeah, I started to get to that to the tail end of like, I, I started to think about where Picard went and what Voyager sets up. Like from our first introduction in 66 to what we just recently got with Picard, like discovery can definitely be pulled out of it and you wouldn't lose anything from Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, um, I was about to choose Voyager cause it was, it was the first Star Trek that I started and then bailed on. Mm-hmm. But the, your points are, are absolutely salient and they make, they make sense when you combine Voyager with everything else, then there's Discovery. The first season of Discovery was awesome, in my opinion. The first season was fantastic, really enjoyed it. But very quickly, it began to eat away at and erode the fabric of what makes Star Trek Star Trek. I think the one body of work that you could completely skip and you would genuinely lose nothing in the Star Trek pantheon, I think you're right. I think it's Discovery. So then kind of the, the antithetical question is, if you had to pick a single, and I'm just going to say, you know, either episode or film to interest somebody, what is it going to be? I see Wesley jumping out of his seat. Mm-hmm. You you clarify, you qualified it with interest somebody like I, I like I instantly have my favorite episode of Star Trek, um, but an okay. episode to interest we can someone. go that route, too. What's your favorite uh, one? Measure of a Man, uh, season two of mm. uh, uh, TNG. If you don't remember it off the, the name of it, it's the episode where uh, Data's autonomy gets called into question on whether he's Star Trek or he's uh, Starfleet property or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has some of the best just kind of definitions to explore consciousness and what makes a person a person. Do we 
encounter the new life of data and enslave it right out of the gate? Or do we allow it to explore its consciousness on its own? Like it even touches on like personal sacrifice of William Riker needing to like if if like at the tail end of the episode, it's data saying to Riker, it's like you are a true friend and you te you're teaching me what friendship is, is you take pain onto yourself to benefit your friend. So it's like that, 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 that's my favorite episode of Star Trek. Mm, that's a really good one. That for those who are curious, I want to look this up. Measure of a Man, Next Generation, Season Two, Episode Nine. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Dan, I know that yeah. you don't have a huge body of work that you particularly enjoy, but if you had to choose one, okay, go for it. Yeah. So it's Mirror Mirror from the original series. Ooh. Um, you know, Kurt goes to the, a dark version. You know, we see Spock with a, a goatee and that, but not only that. It allowed for a crossover in DS9. Yeah. Um, at, and they went to that same universe. So uh, great. It's one, it, you know, it is one of my favorite ones just because of that. We got to see a different type of federation. We got to see a different type of world. And at the time, that really hadn't been done in any type of series. And so that was really fascinating to see. Here we have this utopian society where there's no want and need. And now, we go to this dark world, this dark universe, and it's now a very militaristic mm -hmm. uh, world. And it was very, very interesting. It's a um, empire. <clears throat> yeah. Mm -hmm. And if I remember it, uh, looks like you just sent it over. It was season, it's episode four. Yeah. Uh, season two, episode four. <laughs> we actually venture back into that mirror universe quite frequently, like you'd mm -hmm. said in Deep Space Nine, like Enterprise even touches on it. Um, yeah. Discovery goes into it for a bit. Um, I think it was a missed opportunity in Discovery the way they did season one personally, but yeah, that like yeah. Mirror Mirror is a really great episode. Yes, yeah. Krebs, man, and the original prompt was if you only had one episode or film to catch someone's attention and get them interested in Star Trek, what would it be? Oh. Or it can be your favorite. We've kind of. I mean, that's my favorite movie, but it or episode episode. But if it is something to catch your attention, I would have to say Wrath of Khan. Yeah, Wrath of Khan is really good. Yeah. Um, for me, and, and and I am kind of wrestling with this. Um, I think if if we're talking about a movie to introduce someone to Star Trek and to get them hooked and to want to know more, actually, I think I'm going to go with the first film in the Kelvin timeline with Chris Pine and and Carl Urban. I think that film does an excellent job of laying the foundation, which is what it was designed to do, right? Yeah. And mm -hmm. yes, it has references. Actually, I think this is what makes it a good vehicle for getting someone wrapped up in Star Trek. It introduces everything from a foundational level, makes very loose references to existing reference to existing material, and leaves little hooks for people to kind of like get invested in, get curious about, which will then lead them to the other bodies of work. In terms of like all-time favorite I, and this is probably just the nostalgia talking, but honestly, Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, is still to this day my favorite Star Trek film. Close second is Generations, but but hmm. but Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, that that was a very special movie for me in my youth. Yeah. I, I love love Generations. I love Voyage Home. And and I do actually enjoy most of the Kelvin timeline films, the JJ Abrams films, they certainly had a lot of flair. <laughs> <laughs> Got him. Uh, anyway, but I, uh, 
I, I do have a, a follow-up answer to that to like as an introductory concept to what would really push Star Trek into Star Trek territory. Um, all good things, part one and two. All good things. Mm. Is that TNG so, also? Yeah, it's the it's the series finale for TNG. That's why I thought um, it was the last yeah, two episodes. So, yeah, it's the last two episodes, so it gets into a good strive of what goes into TNG um, and has like some temporal stuff, has some good Enterprise future past. Like mm. it's a cute, prominent episode. It would uh, I don't know. It, it, it to me it would be it would be a better representation and have more have more hooks to get you. So like okay, let me watch all like I would like I would watch that and then be like, well, let me see how we got there over seven seasons. The the ten episode of Strange New Worlds is like, if you're just if you're not gonna watch the other eight hundred and seventy episodes that exist of Star Trek, <laughs> um, just watch those ten of Strange New Worlds and you'll be fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Plainly, the the first episode of Strange New Worlds is actually one that I have used to show people like yeah. this is what Star Trek can be. Like that, that was almost my answer. It's it's scope is is wide but you get really personal you see the actual struggles between people you deal with a morality question that is immediately relevant to our time but you're also looking at it at a grander galactic operatic scale and, and it just it was a great show it, it, um and that that episode was one of the first pieces of star trek media that i'd seen in a long time that made me feel like i was coming home again mm-hmm yeah. Um, so that stands out to me, uh, but, and I, I hate to cheap out, but I have to, there is a tie for me in terms of my favorite episodes. Okay. All um, right. and, and they are both in TNG, um, next generation. The, the, the first one is one that more people are familiar with. It's chain of command in which, um, mm. Picard gets captured by the Cardassians yep. and oh, there are three you know, lights. The, there are four lights. There are four lights. Four yeah. Lights. Um, uh, I guess that and, depends on how you see it, but yeah, go ahead. And the and the the, the 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 fundamental like conflict in the episode is that um, as as Captain Picard is being subjected to just this awful torture, and they're trying to break his spirit and break him down, he keeps choosing to hold on and and say what is true and does not give up. And, but the tension that they build in that episode is just juicy to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the other one, which is a, a a sentimental favorite with a piece of music that haunts my quiet moments is The Inner Light. Oh, it's, yeah. it's an episode in which you don't really know what's going on until the end. And knowing the end, I don't think actually impacts the episode that much, to be frank. But Picard awakens in an alien world that he doesn't recognize that's very low tech and everyone around him is calling him by this name that he doesn't recognize. And he's trying to convince everybody that, no, no, I've got to get back to my ship. And eventually he just realizes there's no way out of it. And so decides to make the most of the life that he's given. And he lives an entire lifetime through the lens of, of this other character. And, uh, it is a very poignant episode. It's a very heartfelt episode in which we examine like what we love and the rich tapestry that is life, the things that we bring with us. And one of the things that, that he does uh, as this alien character is he learns how to play the tin whistle. 
and he plays this beautiful song, this simple theme that just keeps coming over and over. And Mm -hmm. at the end of it all, when he returns to himself, he still has the whistle. And uh, there's just something really beautiful about that particular episode to me, the same way that Chain of Command is, is dark and intense and makes you feel the pressure inner light on the opposite side just makes me want to live life and appreciate what I have. So it's kind of cheap to, to say those are two, but they're tied, but, but they are for me and for very different reasons. So that was Chain of Command, which is Next Generation Season 6, Episode 10, and Inner Light, which was Next Generation Season 5, Episode 25. I think Chain of Command is technically a two-part episode as well. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it's intense. Yeah, it's some of uh, Patrick Stewart's best acting. Yes. Is Mm -hmm. is in the second part of that episode. All right, guys. So um, just trying to like put the cherry on top for this episode. Let's do a pseudo lightning round. Okay. Pseudo lightning round. Going to give you a prompt. We're going to go through. We're going to we're going to pick our dream team, but you can only have one person per answer, and you must have a different person per prompt. Okay. Okay. Yeah, let's do it. Across all timelines, across all works of Star Trek, who is your engineer? Jordy LaForge. Scotty. Miles O'Brien. Ah, Jordy LaForge. Who is your science officer? I still stay with Spock. I got to say Spock, too. Data. That's a great one. I'm leaning toward Spock, but Strange New Worlds, Spock. Uh, Who is your ensign slash pilot? I don't really have a choice here. I'm sorry, but Wesley Crusher. (laughs) I like John Chow Sulu. Ooh. Uh, Hot take, Brad Boimler. Ooh. He yeah. actually pulled it off on the Titan, not going to lie. It's true. You know what? My reflex was Wesley Crusher, so I'm leaning that direction. However, Tom Paris is, you know, from, from Voyager, Tom hmm. Paris, kind of kind of a hot dog. It's true. There's only one Delta Flyer. That is truth. Who is your doctor? Doctor. Robert Picardo, the doctor? Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering. You know, I hate moving to the Kelvin timeline, but man, Bones... You know, um, oh, yeah, Carl Urban, Carl Urban, yes, Carl Urban was fantastic. Nothing against the original Bones, but man, Carl Urban's version, you know, yeah, beautiful. I gotta say, the doctor as well. I, it, it's hard, it's hard, but it's the same way for me where I was really struggling between Spock and Data. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the doctor and Beverly Crusher, yeah. Like yeah. it's hard for me. I, I, I. My reflex was to say Robert Picardo. Like before, even before Wes even said anything, and then you said Carl Urban Bones, and I think that's the way I gotta go. That's that's the doctor I would trust my life with, and the one that I would sit down and have a non-alcoholic drink with. Yeah. Who is your head of security? I'm gonna go with Worf. I really like Worf as head of security. Worf's a good one. Worf. Elton married a head of security. It's true. And yet, so she became a Romulan. Balana Torres. Oh, Bola Torres. Torres. Well, she was engineering. Oh, you're right. You're right. No, yeah. no, no. Yeah, you're right. My brain's getting mixed up. Are you talking about Tuvok? I'm thinking about Tuvok. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. My my brain actually. I was thinking of the correct character, but the wrong position. 
Yeah. But my answer still works. It, Tuvok. Yeah. So I would also choose Worf. And a fun fact about Worf, specifically Michael Dorn, um, and this is probably a seat he will never be able to be dethroned from other than Mabel, uh, Miss Barrett, mm-hmm. is he is credited in 288 episodes of Star Trek. Holy smokes. Because of the way our television is now structured with Star Trek, with only having like maybe 15 episodes a season, there is there's no is hope. Mathematically impossible for mo- for anybody to reach Michael Dorn's prolific Star Trek career. So is Worf your security officer? Yes, Worf is my security officer. Mostly uh, because he is a warrior of peace now. I, I do, I mean, again, love Worf. Odo. Odo is my head of security. Hmm. Odo's a good one. I like Odo because, of course, he's a shapeshifter, and I think that gives him the most... Uh, even if his potential may have been slightly squandered uh, throughout DS9, the fact that he's a shapeshifter gives him all sorts of security benefits. So he's he's my number one for security. Speaking of number ones, <gasps> who's your number one? Riker. No chair okay. can survive him. That was a lower back issue, so... I know, but I don't care. It doesn't matter. He made it awesome. Uh, yeah, no, number one for me is also Riker. Um, yeah, Riker. Dan? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I have an answer on that one. Chakotay it is. No, it's not. I thought about Chakotay, but no. No. I mean, I like Riker, but at the same time, I can't say he's my favorite. Yeah. You know, you know, you know who was a close second for me, and, and I've got—I have to look up his name. But uh, in Enterprise, he is the best friend of the captain. I think he's also the head of Trip. engineering. Yeah, Trip. Trip. Yeah. Trip. I—I I know mm. he's engineering, but I would take him as my number one. Mm. See, I was going to go with uh, either to Paul or Saru. Oh, Saru! Saru post mm. fear uh, puberty. Yeah, <laughs> post yeah, fear post- puberty. Oh, Saru, Saru post fear puberty would be a great number one, but I'm going to stick, I'm going to stick with Riker with, um, with trip as, as my, as my second. And then finally, of course, we've been building up to this. Who is your captain? I already know Daniel's answer. (laughs) Who is your captain and why is it Christopher Pike? It's a very specific Christopher Pike. (laughs) That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Bruce Greenwood's been him. I can't remember the original actor from the, the original series, but yes, it is definitely Anson Mounts. Mm-hmm. Christopher. That is the Def- Christopher Pike that counts best. That would be my captain, definitely. Jean-Luc. Jean-Luc Picard. Sorry, guys. There is no there is no substitute. And and I yeah. know that that's like, like the common kid's answer, but I accept it. <laughs> Though the way that the character is just built and written from the ground up yes i just i just love it and it's it's not that i like actively dislike kirk or anything like that but they are clearly playing against each other Mm -hmm. in terms of their character building and the way that jean-luc is built is he's my captain so wes who's your captain i am very torn between janeway and cisco interesting so Picard is definitely my favorite on-screen captain, and I can quote a lot of his stuff specifically of like, you can do everything right and still fail. That's life. Hmm. So he's my favorite on-screen captain and has some of my favorite episodes and favorite monologues. But as far as ability to lead and get done, 
Um, I'd probably like like Janeway got her ship home. Cisco, in my mind, single handedly won the Dominion War. Yeah, but there's a group of grade school kids who made a banner for Captain Picard Day. So <laughs> yeah, I, I, I yeah. Um, I think you know I was I was debating on a, on a few of them. I was torn between Picard and Pike, and maybe this will change with time because Star Trek Strange New Worlds is getting more seasons, and I think maybe with more experience, we'll have a more fleshed out captain, all that jazz. I think Picard is my go-to. Picard's my favorite. I, I, I can't see another captain with as much presence, gravitas, and authority combined with humility, compassion, and the, the will to hope. The will to hope. Not just to survive, but to hope. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I don't think any other captain quite reaches those heights for me. But, but Anson Mount, Captain Pike, is brilliant and an extremely close second. Well, friends... I believe that we are hitting the end of our time together. Shall we spin the wheel? Yep. Let's spin the wheel. But wait, for the folks at home who haven't seen this, what do you mean, spin the wheel, Alton? Well, if you happen to be looking at your video screens, you will see that there is a gigantic wheel that has just appeared in which we are building a whole bunch of episode ideas. And when we have what we are calling our potpourri episodes in which we want to talk about a random topic that doesn't necessarily have to be tied to a release or a guest or something like that. We want to see what's happening each week. So we've loaded them all into one of those nifty random wheel generators online, and it is time to spin to see what we talk about next week. And here we go. It's slowing down. Oh... Ooh, interesting. Okay, so it's looking like next week we're going to have an episode talking about violence in the media, specifically in the stuff that we consume, our fiction that we enjoy. Is it necessary? Is it worthwhile? What does it add? When does it detract? We're going to have a great time talking about that next week on Dungeon Crawlers Radio. Dan, take us out. All right, folks. Here it is. We have finished our episode on Star Trek as a whole. Whether you love Star Trek, you don't love Star Trek, you're a fan, you could care less. The great thing about shows like this and science fiction and fantasy and all of these IPs out there is we have a plethora of stuff to enjoy. There's always something in everything that's out there that we can enjoy. And Star Trek is one of those. Despite the fact that I am not a fan, I've still watched it, so I can credibly say, hey, I'm not a big fan of this. But the great thing is, is we've had several other gentlemen on this show that do love it. And they've told you why. And that is fantastic. That is the great thing about geek culture is we can love everything as a whole and not hate each other. You know, we can love it universally. So with that said, we'll catch you next time. And Dungeon Crawlers. Whether you're boldly going where no man has gone before, or just getting out of bed to face another day, tell your story, whatever may come. And crawlers, let your geek flag fly. So say we all. And always remember to be epic! 
and don't suck. Remember, the force will be with you always. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you like this episode, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find us.